here, a marriage without children is still a complete family. Full stop. Generally speaking, the Bible puts great emphasis on husbands and wives teaming together to raise godly children. And uh, we're passionate about that at One Tribe. And uh, one of the most exciting things about this church is the kids' ministry. And um, we honor different volunteers from time to time. If you, are, if you have ever served in our kids' church on a Sunday morning, please stand up. We'd just like to applaud you and thank you one more time. Fantastic. And uh, we need more volunteers, and there's loads downstairs as well. The second mission that we team around is making the world a better place. God said to the man and the woman, not just the husband, to subdue the earth and rule. Now, this is not a call to dominate selfishly, but it's a call to serve the world. So a married couple is teeming to raise godly children and to make the world a better place. It's a couple who speak into darkness, chaos, and confusion. And I know there isn't much of that in Kenya, but supposing there was. To speak into darkness, chaos, and confusion and bring about stability, order, and peace. Married couples can bring healing, wholeness, and order to a chaotic world. Married couples can weave beauty into the very fabric of society. How cool is that? Good marriages are the glue that holds a society together, and failed marriages contribute to the weakening of society. A quick side note. Marrieds, please include singles in your social circle. It was never God's plan for married and singles to be segregated. And when we called this church one tribe, we meant one tribe in every sense. The Kikuyu tribe and the Luo tribe, the wealthy tribe and the poor tribe, the black tribe and the white tribe, the locals tribe and the non-locals tribe, and also the singles tribe and the marrieds tribe. Can the singles give me a tribal kind of ahu? That was okay. Married, can you give us a kind of married tribe? Ahu. Singles, I gave you first stops and you kind of, what can I say? Singles, please don't wait for an invitation. Just come. Just arrive at a married house and ring the doorbell and we will find food for you. And I'm speaking for my wife, Tash, and I at the very least, but I know for many other married couples here. Uh, on a serious note, invite yourself along. Uh, know that we love you, we appreciate you, and we want, we want to include you in our lives. And there's a third mission that we team around. And this part of our mission is specific to those of us who are Christ followers. It is the mission to advance the cause of Christ. Married couples are called to team together in giving our lives for the greatest cause on planet Earth, and that is to make Jesus famous in every city and in every nation. 
What are you giving your life for? What are you giving your marriage for? I can't think of anything better. I can't think of anything greater or grander. I may never play for Manchester United Football Club. I may never play for the New Zealand All Blacks. But man, if I can give the rest of my days to making Jesus famous and being a part of this church that he's building of people from every tribe and every tongue, then I would consider my life well spent. Now the Bible talks about two different couples in relation to how they advanced or didn't advance the mission of Christ, the cause of Christ. The first couple you may have heard of were Ananias and Sapphira. They didn't do so well in terms of advancing the cause of Christ. In fact, they harmed the cause of Christ by teaming together in hypocrisy and dishonesty, and as a result, they died prematurely. The other couple are a couple called Priscilla and Aquila. This was a machine couple, if ever there was one. They led a business together. Together they helped lead three different churches in different cities at different times, as well as opening their home for the church to gather and helping raise up other leaders. Two interesting things about Priscilla and Aquila. The first is we have no record of them necessarily having children. We don't know, but it's never mentioned that they did. The second interesting thing about them is that whenever they're mentioned, Priscilla's name comes first and Aquila's second. We're not sure why that is, but maybe Priscilla's gifts were more dynamic than her husband's, and that's pretty cool. If you've met my wife, Tash, I found that she has a real presence about her. In fact, people just love being around her, most of all myself but loads of others. And what we tend to find is that um, if it's going to be a big group and you have to sit down and listen for 35 or 40 minutes, we'll find that I tend to be slightly stronger than her in that. But we've also found that when it is less than like 100 people <laughs> and when it's two-way dialogue, she just tends to be better. And I love it. She's an absolute... Jim, but you'll hear from her a little bit later. So married couples, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to team together to raise children, make the world a better place, and to advance the cause of Christ. This is definitely not a case of one person being a sideshow or accessory for the other. It's a case of two different chemicals coming together to form a third substance. It's like carbon and iron coming together to form steel, said all the chemical geniuses. And as you do that, it can have huge implications for your children, huge implications for your community and city, and huge implications for the cause of Christ. Marriage isn't just about indulging in the focus and love you have for each other. It's about letting the strength and stability of your relationship overflow in mission, blessing other people beyond your marriage year in and year out. It's not just about looking into each other's eyes, being drawn into them. It's about looking at the same horizon 
and being drawn towards that horizon. It's not just face to face, it's also shoulder to shoulder. A word for singles. Don't wait until you're married to get onto mission. Do you know who the first single in the Bible was? Adam. And he got his wife when he was working in the garden, getting busy with the mission that God had given him. Some of the most beautiful marriages in the kingdom are ones where there's a single who's working hard on mission and serving Jesus, and then they look up to see someone else next to them who's single, also working hard on mission and serving Jesus, heading in the same direction, also called by God. Okay, so we spoke a little bit about teaming together in marriage. Now we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about gender roles in marriage, and it's time for me to fall on the grenade. No, let's talk about this together, and we're going to see what the Bible says. It's going to shed some light on this topic. When it comes to roles in marriage, there are four main models in our society. The first model is chauvinism. In this model, men are superior. We hold the remote. What he says goes, and the wife is only barefoot pregnant and in the kitchen. She only comes out to get him another beer. In this model... Male and female are different, and they are not equal. Men are on top. The second model that we see in our society is a reaction to chauvinism, and this one we will call ultra-feminism. In this model, women are superior. Women are in charge and the decision-makers and men seem to seldom grow beyond the stage of being selfish boys. In this model, male and female are different, and they are not equal. Women are on top. Now, does either of these seem like what the Bible would or should teach on marriage? Thirdly, good answer. Thirdly, we have unisexism. The key here is that men and women are equal. But unisexism would go further and say that there is pretty much no difference between men and women except biology. Meaning there's, not, there's no difference essentially between men and women except that women have the ability to bear children and men leave the toilet seat up. Apart from that, there's no need for talk about gender roles. Number four is complementarianism. Can you say out loud with me, complementarianism? Where this is similar to unisexism is that it emphasizes that men and women are equal in value and dignity. However, where it differs from unisexism is that this model states that whilst being equal, men and women are different, and in marriage, they have different roles. You guessed right, the Bible teaches complementarianism. 
This is clearly evident in the first three chapters of the Bible. Check out Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says, So God created man in his, what are those two words? Own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It doesn't get clearer than that. Male or female, you are created in the image of God himself. You can't get more dignity, value, and worth than that. Male and female were created equal and in God's image. Is there a difference in roles? Yes, we find that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, we touched on this last week, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I know what you're thinking, ladies. You're thinking, oh no, he didn't. He didn't just call me a helper. If you look at that verse superficially, that can sound like men get the main role and the woman gets to do all the stuff that the man doesn't want to do. And so the ultra-feminists get angry. But the opposite is the case. The word helper does not imply weakness. It implies strength. The word translated helper in the Hebrew is the word Eza, as in Ebenezer or Ebenezer. This word is used of God himself in the Bible. Two examples, Psalm 121 verse 1. The psalmist, a strong warrior, he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Another example would be Deuteronomy 33 verse 29. It says, blessed are you, O nation of Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you, and you will trample down their high places. So you see, Ezer means to, out of strength, help another who is weak. Strong helper could be another translation. So wives are to be godlike, strong helpers, who make, up the multiple, who make up for the multiple deficiencies and weaknesses of men. In other words, God looked down at the first man, Adam. He saw how he was doing and he thought, he needs help. Enter womankind. Eve was also called a suitable helper. And the picture there is like two pieces of a jigsaw puzzle that interlock. They're not exactly alike, but they are not randomly different. So where did it all go wrong? Genesis 3.16 describes what happened when humanity falls away from God. When sin entered the world, instead of husband and wife completing one another, we end up 
competing with one another. God says with deep sadness to the woman, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now that phrase, your desire will be for your husband, means that her desire will be to master her husband. She won't be happy to have him lead. In other words, extreme feminism is born in Genesis 3. At the same time, the man will rule over her. That means that instead of being a servant leader, he will be a tyrant leader. Male chauvinism is born in Genesis chapter 3. Both are wrong and both are tragic violations of God's plan for marriage. So in short, the Bible teaches complementarianism. We're equal but different. Let's use an analogy from the dancing world to describe it. Marriage is a bit like partner dancing. It involves passion, passion, communication, and intimate teamwork. It's a bit different to individual dancing, which is a bit more, hey, look at me. Partner dancing is more about the connection between two people. It requires the setting aside of ego. As in partner dancing, so in marriage, the man leads and the woman follows. In the movie, Take the Lead, one of the parts is played by Antonio Banderas. Ladies, stay focused. This is church now. Antonio is trying to teach a lady to tango. She objects saying, who do you think you are to lead? I am a strong person. He responds, it is the strength of a man to lead and it is the strength of a woman to follow. That describes the essence of the roles in marriage. The man doesn't demand or yank. He simply invites a woman to move with him. He himself moves with the music as she does. The music is the rhythm of God's grace and direction. In this sense, he follows God even before he leads his wife. Her strength is to follow because she wants to. She does not lean on him in clinginess. Her weight is still over her own two feet. She moves with him in partnership, but not in subservience. She chooses to trust him and to submit herself to his lead. And it's not just him she follows, because she too can hear the music. And finally, although he sets the direction, he opens up the possibility for her expression. She adds color and surprise twirls to the dance. She is the prettier one. Not only that, even though he leads, she is free to alert him to the possibility of a new movement. She does this graciously, of course, lest the dance is spoilt and the energy and synergy is quelled.
This is exactly how dancing works in my marriage to Tash. What usually happens is we'll be at a wedding on a Saturday, and uh, it'll get to 8.30, when the stuff has been done, the deal is done, guys. You know, the cake has been cut, the vows have been said, the job is done, and it's now time for celebration and fun and fanfare. Now, in our marriage, for the last 15 or 16 years, on Saturday nights, I've spent most Saturday nights thinking, I've got a sermon to preach tomorrow, and it's not finished preparing yet. Tash, on the other hand, is thinking, let's party until the sun comes up. Let's be the last to leave this thing. Barrier number one. Barrier number two, one of us has slightly better rhythm than the other. I won't tell you which one. And so we have a deal. After the married couple has done their dance, and uh, now they've opened up the floor, Tash already has her shoes off, and she's on the dance floor, and I'm thinking, how soon can we get home? But our agreement is this. I must join her on the dance floor. Now, my dance moves are pretty much the electric wave from the 1980s. <laughs> and a running man, which if you've never seen it, is kind of like this. I don't do much else. And so our dancing deal is this. Can you help, Tash? We need some music. Can you guys provide some music? Uh, help us. Okay, we've got a rhythm there. Can we have some actual music with the rhythm? It's a great rhythm. Can someone hum something or something? Beatbox, Samsung beatbox. Okay, how about? Dun, 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 dun. Okay, you had your opportunity to choose the tune and you didn't, so that's what we're stuck with, okay. And what we do is, our deal is this. Tash said to me after a couple of years of just meanness, she said, okay, all you've got to do is stand on the dance floor and just tap your foot. And she says, I'll do the rest. And so I kind of tap my foot and she does these twirls and moves. And you know what? It works. And uh, thank you, Tash. So that's a helpful picture, but it's still only scraping the surface of the Bible's teaching on roles in marriage. Now let's go to Ephesians 5 on the matter. Ephesians 5, 22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let me address husbands first. Husbands, in these verses we see five things that are expected of husbands. First, we are to love, cherish, and care for our wives in a way that leaves them feeling loved. We must not be like the husband who when his wife comes to him and says, do you love me? He says, look, I said I loved you on our wedding day and if anything changes, I will let you know. We're called to do much, much better than that. Second, we're to do all we can to see our wives flourish. We see the person that God made them to be and we help them to flourish in security. It's the furthest thing from suppressing our wife's contributions and strengths. We do what we can to draw them out of her. Thirdly, you'll see that we're the head of our wife. That simply means that we're given some kind of authority in marriage. God gives us a responsibility he doesn't give the woman. And as a result, he will hold us accountable for something he doesn't hold our wives accountable for. Fourth, it's clear that we're to do all of this, loving, helping her flourish, and leading in a sacrificial way. We're in it to give, not to get. Lastly, and this is the biggie, we're to do all of this with Jesus as our example. Think how Jesus loves us and we love like that. Think how Jesus helps us to flourish and we serve like that. Think about how Jesus leads and lead like that. That's a tall order, guys. But if we walk closely with Christ, we will have a source of power for change. Husbands, if you want to be a better husband, then regularly ask your wife, is there anything I can do more of or start doing or stop doing that will make you feel more loved and better led? You might be wondering in what areas exactly does a husband lead? Well, to answer that, it's helpful to remember the three goals of marriage. Firstly, friendship. God's plan is that a couple would be best of friends. Although the wife must carry this concern too, as husbands, we must be especially concerned about it. Husbands, we must be the first to spot the deterioration in the relationship and the first to do something about it. The second goal is transformation. Again, whilst the wife must carry this concern too, the husband must be especially concerned about making the marriage a safe, encouraging environment for character growth 
where you can both become more like Jesus. The third goal is teaming around mission. The wife also carries this concern, but the husband is especially concerned about the spiritual temperature in the family. He must be the first to spot that the wife is feeling alone in the mission of raising the kids and do something about it. You might also be wondering, but what exactly does a marriage look like where the husband leads and the wife follows? You know, the Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't say if the husband should be the sole breadwinner or the head of the finances. It doesn't say that he's the handyman and she's the cook. It's the responsibility and joy of every couple to work these things out for themselves. But what about decision-making? In most cases, couples should reach consensus. But there may be some rare times when the husband will have to make the final decision, one thoughtfully and prayerfully made with the good of the family in mind. Tim Keller tells the story of wanting to start a church in New York City. And at this point in time, he's believing God's called him, but he's not 100% sure. And he knew that it would mean his family having to relocate to New York City. His wife, Kathy, was not keen at all. So he said to her, look, if you don't want to go, then we won't go. Her response she said, oh, no, you don't. You aren't putting that decision on me. That's abdication. If you think this is the right thing to do, then exercise your leadership and make the decision. It's your job to break the logjam. It's my job to wrestle with God until I can joyfully support your call. The rest is history. They went and started the now thousand-strong Redeemer Church. But enough of me. Let me call up my lovely wife, and she's got a, a nugget or two to deliver. Great. So as Mbonisi said, one of us enjoys this kind of thing, of standing up in front of people and doing this, and one doesn't. And so when he asked me to do this, I said, without even thinking about it or blinking, no thanks, I'd really rather not. And he was quite clever about it because he said to me, well, why don't you just pray about it, okay? Just pray about it and let me know what you think. Genius. So I prayed about it and in praying about it, like, felt God sort of asking me, like, why don't you want to stand up and talk about, you know, the role of wives in marriage? And I think for me, a big part of it is just in the modern day we live in, it's just a prickly subject and there is a lot of this sort of like, you know, I'm a strong woman and I'm going to do this and, you know, I know my rights. And for me to now stand up here and say, okay, what does the Bible say is like a very like <sighs> deep breath kind of talk to give. And secondly, just in terms of also coming under the spotlight personally, like I feel I come from a background where parents are divorced, aunts and uncles are divorced, and marriage is something that I had to learn about more in the church once I had joined a church that was Bible-based and Holy Spirit-believing and work through these things. 
So in all of that, I had a lot of these things to be wrestling with. But God said to me, well, actually, Tash, um, I'm not asking you to sort of be the role model for this. What I'm asking you to do is tell people what I've said in my word. I was like, oh, I can do that. (laughs) So without further ado, back to Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And just from that, um, you quickly get this picture that this kind of thing is something that is a definite choice for each and every woman. Mm -hmm. And it's like something you have to decide in your heart because... I'm sure all of you know that submission is a hard thing Mm. and you might have actions that say I'm submitting, like I'm making food for you and I'm making sure you have a drink when you get home. But actually what is going on in the heart Mm. is what Christ is addressing here. And just to be clear that this is not sort of like something that's dependent on the husbands, it goes on to say in 1 Peter 3, and this is now talking to wives who've got husbands who don't even believe in Jesus, in case you thought, oh, well, my husband's not a believer, so therefore, tough luck. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that in any of, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Wow. And that's just like, wow, okay, so this submission thing, we're talking about not even godly husbands. It's like, if you're married, then this is something that Jesus calls us to. And so even for single ladies, I would say, do take your time and think about who you are going to be submitting to. Because this is something that's not just, oh, if he's a godly man, then I submit. But Jesus says, actually, whoever you're married to, my call to you is to submit. Sure. And then that begs the question, like, okay, what does this submission look like? And the bad news is the model for this is Jesus Christ himself. (laughs) And so that's our role model. So it's not sort of like, you know, some lady you've seen on TV or even like in real life, your moms, your aunts, someone you might have thought, you know, okay, they're doing a pretty good job, but it's like actually the highest standard And we go to Philippians 2 for that, where it says to all of us speaking generally in life, but also in this whole issue of submitting as these powerful helpers that we are as wives. It says your attitude, and this is again speaking to that, not just your actions, but in your heart, in the deepest part of you, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, same as the Holy Spirit, same as the Father, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And that is where we have to get our example from. And so um, I don't have much more to say, And my encouragement would be to wives on this is don't just let this be a floaty sort of 
wavy thing in your head of like, yeah, I'll submit, I'm submissive, but really take time to pray about it and grapple with it and say, what does this mean for me, for my marriage? Have conversations. There are so many other sisters around you, like people you can trust, people you feel like, hey, you're a few years ahead in the game, like, how's it going for you? Take time to have those conversations with people. And if there are role models that you feel like, yeah, you know what, I think, you know, I'd like to come alongside you, talk to people, just say, hey, walk with me in this and keep me accountable. But let it be something that's done from a place of faith and not fear and not a place of like, I need to assert myself, but ultimately your heart being like that of Jesus Christ. Okay. Coming in for a landing, singles, please stand. All my single ladies, all my single guys, please stand. I want to address you. Singles, whether you've never been married or you once were married, the thing not to forget is that the marriage relationship, awesome as it is, is designed to point us to Christ and his love for us. This means that if you're a woman and you would love someone to love you and to help you flourish and to give you leadership, someone who'd be willing to die for you, Jesus is exactly that. If you'll trust in him and believe in him, he's your husband. And if you're a man, Christ is your helper. He's the one who wants to come alongside you and out of his strength to help you in your weakness. Singles, you can sit. Do you see how there is so much more at stake than who holds the remote control? Do you see how as we get into marriage, it becomes an opportunity for absolute worship. Because just as, as husbands, we find, I've been given this authority. Ah! How do I handle it in a Christ-like way? And wives here, I've got I've to submit and respect. Ah! How do I do that in a Christ-like way? God has displayed in living color through Scripture perfect relationship, perfect complementarity in a God who is three in one, Father, Spirit, Son, and in God himself, we see perfect leadership, God the Father glorifying his Son with his leadership, pouring out the Spirit with his leadership. We see Jesus Christ in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Equal in value, equal in dignity, eternal, one with the Father. And you can imagine in the council of heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saying, one of us must go down and be born in a borrowed manger and live in a broken earth and show humanity what we are like, 
one of us will have to surrender to the creation we created, become creator in creation's hands and be crucified on a cross. At that moment in time, Jesus didn't say, well, why are you both looking at me? I'm equal with you. Why should I go down? He didn't say, and by the way, why does Father get to be in charge for all eternity? He's had like 50,000 millennia to be in charge. I want my turn to be in charge for the next 50,000 millennia. Far from it, the Bible says, being in the very nature of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Jesus, like no other God, humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And scripture says, let your attitude, men, and your attitude, women, be just like that. That's why we celebrate that's why we gather around the Lord's Supper. And in fact, we're going to take communion right now to celebrate this God who became a man and died on a cross for you and I. So maybe if the band can come on up and uh, Sean, I'll hand over to you. Thanks, Mbo. We're going to keep our eyes just um, fixed on Jesus uh, as we gather around communion, the Lord's Supper. And it's just so clear through this message and through what Mbo and Tash have shared with us that all of this only comes together when we fix our eyes on Jesus. None of this works without the example and the headship of Jesus. We can't get this thing of roles in marriage and relationships right without the example of Jesus before us, without the headship of Jesus in our marriages and in our relationships. And we also can't get this thing right of um, being on mission and having that purpose without first getting things right with God. And that's what the cross is all about. Thinking about this week in Kenya and our cry for peace this morning and our focus on God as the Prince of Peace. Do you see how you, you can't be a peacemaker, you can't bring the peace of God into this nation, you can't be an ambassador of that unless you first have found peace with God yourself. In Romans 5 verse 1, it says that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to find peace with God. So I want to encourage you today, if you are not sure if you have found that place of peace with your Creator, then, then don't take the bread and the juice as it passes by, but rather spend some time reflecting on the opportunity, instead of taking the bread and the cup, take Jesus. Take this offer of peace with God. And we'd love to talk to you about that more afterwards if you'd like to come and chat to any of us at the front. But if you found that peace with God, what I want to encourage you to do this morning is that we're going to pass around the, the, the drink and the bread as the band plays over us and sings over us. I want to ask you to gather in couples. And if you're a single, find another single, or as Mbunisi said, invite yourself into a couple's gathering. And won't you just take the bread and the wine together?
the juice together as you reflect on Jesus and how he's brought us peace with God. We, we don't have to wait for me to lead you in that. Just pray together. Take that cup and bread together as a couple. Commit yourself to this example of Christ and this mission of Christ. I'm just going to read these verses from Colossians as we start to hand out the elements. Just to reflect on who Christ is. And so much of it has come through the sermon this morning. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God, I just pray as we take these elements together that our eyes would be fixed on you. You are the perfect example. You are the head of this church and you are the head of our lives. You are the head of our marriages, God, the head of our relationships. You are the head of this nation. And we want to submit before you, God, today. We want to submit to you, the only one worthy of our submission. We want to thank you that you died on the cross so that we could have peace with God. Amen. Once you have the bread and the cup, feel free to pray together and take it together, and then we will stand and worship and we, as we close the service this morning. sacrifice you became nothing poured out to death many times I've wondered at your gift of life and I'm in that place once again I'm in that place once again and once again I look upon the cross where you died I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside Once again I thank you Once again I pour out my life Now you Exalted to the highest place, King of the heavens, where one day I'll bow. But for now, I marvel at your saving grace, and I'm full of praise once again. Full of praise, I'm full of praise once again. I look 
walk upon the cross where you die I'm humble by your mercy and I'm broken inside once again I thank you once again I pour out Jesus, help us to live lives that are a worthy response to this great, great revelation of your grace. If we're married, let it shine through our marriages. If, it, if we're single, let it shine through our singleness for your glory. And everyone present said, Amen. Friends, have a fantastic week. Next week when we gather, we're going to be concluding our love and marriage series and um, we're going to be doing that by talking about the pursuit we're going to do a, a slot on singleness and uh, we're also going to do a slot on the pursuit of marriage marrieds don't bail on this one okay singles have sat through a number of weeks supporting us we want to be there to support them be besides that we're going to we can have wisdom to speak into the lives of singles around us uh, when you check your WhatsApp, you're going to find two great resources we've put in there in line with this series. These are uh, PDF summaries of uh, a couple of excellent books. One book is called For Women Only. The other is called For Men Only. Choose the appropriate one. No sneak peeking. And uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic uh, look into the inner lives of the opposite sex. That, uh, it's seven or eight pages long. We hope that you enjoy it. God bless you. See you next week. And uh, let's keep on praying as we approach elections in this great, great nation of ours. Take care.